Hi, guys. I don't have a mum on today. I'm going to pray for us before we open this up and dig in. So let's pray. God, you love us. You are a God who loves us. You love us. Um, you love us in our lawlessness. You love us when we are a wreck. And you love us when we have no clue what else is going on. God, I pray that um, we walk out of here today knowing this. You love us. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son. Sometimes all the rest of this stuff is so hard, Lord, but you love us. And we know that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, open your Bibles to your new favorite chapter in the Bible. Why are y'all laughing? I don't even understand. 1 John chapter, into chapter 2, chapter 3. Hey, I, um, I feel like we need to hear this today. We need to hear this. It's okay. It's okay. It was hard. It's okay. It's hard for me. It was hard for everybody. If it wasn't hard for you, raise your hand and I would like to pass you the microphone right now. There were hard, hard things that I think all of us probably walked out of our small group going, I still don't totally, I totally still don't get it. Amen, right? Did you feel that way? I want you to know this. I've been burdened about that because I'm with you. I have been so confused this week. Do you have a lot of confidence now in your teacher? A lot of confidence? Hey man, I'm just one of you. We're all doing this together. It's a team sport. But I want you to, I want you to take some um, comfort in this. In 3 John, we're going to get that to that later. 3 John, in that third letter in verse 4, I found this today. Just while I was praying backstage and I thought, we need to hear this. It's this. This is John's words. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. He has no greater joy than to hearing that we're walking in the truth. So today, as we stumble through this in some parts, and we kind of still leave here with question marks, and we don't fully know, I want you to have this confidence that John wants us to know truth. And you know what the truth, you know the biggest truth of all of it is? That we have a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. It's the biggest, greatest truth. And so with that introduction, I want to invite you into the world of repetitious John. Over and over and over. Am I right? Did, did, were you reading it going, hey man, I think I'm doing the same lesson I did last week. <laughs> same thing over and over. Um, but what does repetition tell us? It amplifies things, right? It reiterates things. It emphasizes things. It's because we need it over and over and over. And I've said this before. Has anybody ever been around a kid before in your life? right? We're his kids, guys. In fact, he even calls us that. We need it over and over. And so John comes at us this week with a lot of the same truths that we've seen over and over, but then he, he twists them a little bit and adds a little extra flair, I guess, a little specifics that he adds in. But I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to think of it this way as we approach this. I want you to consider this. He's really kind of confronting us with three questions, okay? Three questions that we're going to attempt to answer. And they're questions like this. Do you bear the likeness of your father? Do you have family likeness? Like, do you bear the likeness of your father? Do you rely on your new nature that came with accepting Jesus, or are you relying on this old nature? And we're going to go into that in a little bit. That's that lawlessness versus righteousness thing. Do you love in deed and truth? 
Do you love your brothers and sisters of Christ? Do you love those who are not necessarily, that you don't know if they're your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love them well? And, and again, I know you're zoning out because you're like, dude, we have talked about this. John, back off. Well, guys, there's a reason we have to hear it over and over. And I'm going to do my very best to help us understand maybe why he's making it look a little bit different, sound a little bit different this week, okay? So those are the three things we're going to talk about when we look at um, 1 John chapter 3 and the end of chapter 2, really. So the first thing we're going to talk about is family likeness. Family likeness. The question really is this. In the very beginning of this chapter, he's kind of dealing with like, okay, who am I? He, he, he's answering this question because I'm asking, who am I, Lord? I don't, even, I don't even know. Who is this written to? Well, he does it in three parts. And I'm not going to spend, I'm going to move quickly through some of this because there's some parts I feel like we need to camp for a little while. Um, so I'm going to move quickly. I'm just going to read this out loud to you starting in um, chapter 2, verse 29. Okay. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, then you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. As he is pure. Now, we're three verses in, and at this point, when I was doing my homework, I was already like, What is happening? Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, there's a hand. I know Sarah did. She told me so. Let's let's try to simplify it a little bit, if we can simplify it a little bit. Let's look at it like this. Who am I? Three things he says very succinctly. He says this: number one, I am born of him. I am born of him. We're five weeks in now. At this point, you've probably heard me say a few times, when he refers to being born of him, he's talking about rebirth, right, through Jesus Christ as our salvation. Interesting thing, it's, it's a transformation, okay? This rebirth thing, I'm born of him, that's not like when you were born as a baby. This is, I'm talking this is when transformation occurred in your life. Think of it this way. Um, in John 3, 7, If you go back to the book of John, the gospel of John, that was the part about Nicodemus and um, how how John uses, he calls him out, Jesus does, and he's reborn in essence. He was dead and now he's born. Okay, so that's the same verb that he uses here. It's like something that was dead and has now come to life. Okay, so we're born of him. The second thing that we know here, and it says this in verse 2, is it says, Beloved, we are, child- we are God's children now. So we are God's children now. Don't miss the now. I, I, when I read this, I thought, well, that's security, guys. That's security. You need to know this, that like when you've accepted Jesus, and that's who, remember, that's who John's talking to. He's trying to talk to those faithful believers in the church. And he's saying, you're secure in who you are now. You are a child of God now. Christians, guys... You know, we have an incompatibility with sin. Do you realize that? Yes, we sin, right? And we'll get into that in a minute, I promise. But, but what he's trying to say here is you are now a child of God. And what you need to understand about being a child of God is this. 
that when Jesus came and covered all that sin, it's all of a sudden, it's like oil and water. You know, when you pull oil and water and it just separates like that, it's like God saying, I mean, it's like, it's like John telling us, hey guys, you are children of God. You don't have to be over here with the sin stuff and just dwell in that and let that be this barrier between you and the Lord. You have this new avenue. And that's that anointing of that oil, that's Jesus, okay? So we're born of him, we're children of God. And the last one was that we shall be like him then. We shall be like him then. Remember when we were talking last week about um, that period of time? I think it was where he referred to it as the final hour, whatever he said. That's this period of time that we're looking toward the future for what? The return. We're looking toward Jesus coming back. Okay? So when we say we shall be like him then, we're talking about a hope. Okay? So... You've got transformation, you've got security, and you've also got hope, and we're only in three verses. Those are things we know that John is telling us, okay? Those are things that we can rely on. This quote by Spurgeon goes like this, and you've probably heard something along these lines before, but I want you to really consider it. When you consider that you are born of him, if you know Jesus, you are a child of his, and you shall be like him, listen to this quote and consider yourself. Okay? He says this, when we really see him, him being Jesus, we are reflecting him more and more. So when a man looks into a bright mirror, it makes him also bright, for it throws its own light upon his face, and in as much, excuse me, and in a much more wonderful fashion when we look at Christ, who is all brightness, he throws some of his brightness upon us. Is that a cool thing to think about? You know, John, remember what he wants us to be dwelling in truth, right? That's what he said. That's why he's writing these. He wants us to understand this. We are born of him. We are his child, but we are also going to reflect him. So here's the principle for this section. It's this, that as a believer, I can be hopeful because of what he did on the cross, who I am in my salvation, and who I will become when he returns. As a believer, I can be hopeful because of what he did, who I am, and who I will become. Our family likeness. Who do we look like? Who do we look like? The second part of truth that we can gather from this third chapter is this which I really like titling this one, I have to say, that it's this family feud. Anybody watch Family Feud? Yeah, see? Just take that away when you leave today. That's the only thing you remember? Just remember that. He's talking about a family feud. And the reason I thought about it as a feud is this. He talks about what two conflicting terms? Righteousness and what? What was that other one? Lawlessness. Don't you like, and by, by like I mean appreciate, I don't know, how John will give us contrasting terms all the time. He helps us define what he's talking about by saying, okay, I'm telling you this, but if you don't understand that, I'm going to tell you the opposite of it is this. And so that's this feud going on. As he's explaining to us that we're practicing something, guys. What are we practicing? Are we practicing lawlessness or are we practicing righteousness? So the first thing we're going to look at is practicing lawlessness. Here's a definition for you. Sin is lawlessness. You know, you defined it, I think, in your homework, lawless, right? Didn't we go through that? Um, we talked about that. But I want you to write this down if you, if you have a little room. Consider this. When we're talking about lawlessness, 
it conveys more than just transgressing, God, transgressing God's law, okay? It's more than just breaking a rule here or there. It conveys the ultimate sense of rebellion, that is living as if there were no law or ignoring what law exists. Ignoring the law or pretending it just never exists. James 4, 17 says that. It says, you know the right thing and you ignore it. You know, when we become believers, we talked about that inner compass, you know, that Holy Spirit, that thing that sometimes, remember we were talking last week about how you have those moments where you're having this conversation, you're like, eh, this doesn't, mm, this doesn't feel right. When, when you know the right thing and you ignore it, that's different than not knowing. Lawlessness. Let me give you some examples. There's some, there's some people in the Bible, you might have heard of them before. Um, there's this guy named Abraham. Guess what he did, guys? He lied. And then guess what Moses did? He disobeyed God. He lost his temper. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Ding, ding, bonus. That's, that's pretty big, right? Um, Peter denied the Lord three times, like to his face and stuff too. I won't do that. I'm Peter. Paul helped stone Stephen to death. Okay, these are the, the pillars of the Bible. These are the guys that we're supposed to look at and, and hold in high esteem. I don't understand that. Do you understand that? This is where things got a little muddy, right? Some things got muddy when we started talking about sinfulness and lawlessness. And let me read, I'm going to read verses 4 through um, 10 out loud. And I just want you to listen for a minute and let's see if we can make some sense of some of this difficult text, okay? And I want you to keep in mind those examples I just gave you, those examples of sinful behavior that weren't just your, your little tiny stuff, guys. They were big, okay? Listen to this. Verse 4 says this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Whoa, right? What, did you just not stop right there and go, did I read that? My Bible has a typo. <laughs> she says, yes. Didn't have a typo. Hang with me. Hold on. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil... For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil, and no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident. Who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Who's on first? <laughs> Some of you young people are like, what? I don't even know what that means. It felt like a riddle, didn't it? It felt so confusing. Does it conflict with um, what we read in, in chapter 1, verse 10 or verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful to just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does it conflict with that? It's hard, right? 
let me give you a different way to think about this. We know there's sinfulness. We know we are sinners. We know that because guys, I got news. He wouldn't have had to come die for us if some of us aren't gonna be sinners anymore. Because when he died for us, he died for the sins that we committed before and the sins that we commit, continue to commit. Do you know that? It doesn't stop. Nobody can ever out the cross. Can't do it. The cross was for all of it, okay? But here's what I want you to understand. If there's nothing else you leave here with, if there's nothing else, nothing, understand this, that word practice, that word practice is different than just sinning, okay? Verses four and verses nine, it talks about that practice of lawlessness. I want you to think this way. Okay? When he says, you can't possibly be practicing lawlessness and still be a believer. It just can't be the thing. You can't do it. That's John saying this. Are you ready? Once you know Jesus, it's really, really, really impossible to stay in a perpetual, habitual state of sin and not have conflict in your soul. It's impossible. Impossible, Right? Can you be an alcoholic and be a Christian? Heck yeah, but you know what else you are? You are conflicted and you are broken and it hurts and it's hard. Does that make sense? What he's trying to say to us here is not, hey guys, you're just never gonna sin and it's just gonna be butterflies and unicorns and rainbows. It's gonna be great. It's not that. Because you can write that down too. The question is not, can a murderer be saved? The question is, Can a murderer who's saved continue to murder over and over and over and over without conflict in their soul? Hear that. Because you know what? We get, a lot of us walk in this room with so much baggage. We walk in this room with baggage from healing, from things we grew up with to um, denominations that we grew up in or belief systems or worldviews that tell us that you better get your stuff all cleaned up, guys, before you walk in here to this church. You hear me? But that is, that is undoing what Jesus did on the cross. What he's saying here is this. Let me, let me lay it out. A friend of mine, she gave me permission. And I said, I won't use your name. And she said, no, you can't. And then she texted me right back and said, you better not. So I'm not. You know what she said to me last week that helped me understand this? She said this. She found herself in one of these really deep, dark, ugly, perpetual states of sin, okay? It was bad, and it was habitual, and it was ongoing, and it wasn't stopping, and she was a Christian. Can you even imagine? But you know what was so hard for her? She was a strong believer, and you know what she told me? She said the hardest part was the other believers that walked up to her and kept telling her how wrong she was. You're so wrong. What you're doing is wrong. It's so wrong. And you know how many people came up and loved her through it? Not very many. On one hand, she could count the number that loved her through it. That's the difference. It's like she knew it was wrong. She knew it was wrong because she could not practice lawlessness and have Jesus in her heart. She couldn't. It was a conflict. Like it was constant battle. And finally for her, she finally relinquished. Like, okay, Lord, just take it from me. And she wasn't willing. He took it from her. That's what made me think of this. Is like, she said to me, Chris, I couldn't have continued on doing that. There's no way. God would have, he did, if he did, hadn't have stopped me that way by the, by the one or two people that came and loved me, he would have found another way. But I couldn't continue in it because it just, it just was, I was just broken in half. That's what John is talking about. A practice of lawlessness. Not pulling over the solid white line in the toll road 
which I never do. Heather, where are you? So have I beaten that horse sufficiently? Okay, we'll move on. Um, so that's what we were talking about. When we were talking about practicing lawlessness, we recognize what the definition of lawlessness is. We recognize that it is a practice and it's different than an occasional thing. And the second thing we learn about this whole feud going on is we learn about what righteousness is. John lays out for us what righteousness means. That word, it really bugs me sometimes because it's this big church word that sometimes I think we just put it up on this pedestal as this unattainable thing. And when we do that, we're saying that God is not enough. Amen? He is not enough. I'm not saying you become righteous because you're so great and you have cute shoes and cute hair and stuff. I'm saying that that righteousness comes through him. And so he tells us that in verse nine, he says that there's, he, 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 do you remember when he said the word like that God seed thing? He starts talking about seed. And, and then we really were all like, what is happening? We're only nine verses in, this is insanity. Let me read it to you just in case you forgot. Verse nine says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. God's seed abides in him. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says this. It's kind of this, um, let, me try to, let me try to explain it to you like I needed it explained to me. When he says God's seed, okay, have you ever heard of, this sounds so weird. Have you ever heard of the whole, um, the whole first Adam, last Adam thing? Anybody ever heard of that? Everybody know what that means? No, you're lying. You don't. I don't know either. Here's what, here's what it is. When we say there's this God seed that's been planted in us, okay? Stay with me. Don't fall asleep. I promise. It's worth it. There's this new nature that's in us that is not natural. It is not a thing that you could just, you could, you could do good stuff and earn it, okay? Same thing with this whole idea of, of, of the first Adam and the last Adam. You know, the first Adam was the dude back in Genesis, right? The sinful man who fell from grace, didn't he? That's man. That's the old seed. That's our old nature. That's who we are. But then we got this other thing that's referred to as the last Adam. You know who that is? That's Jesus. That's this last Adam, he's come to set right this other thing. So you got this old seed, you got this old nature, this old way of life, and you got this whole new thing, and that's Jesus. And that's that unnatural part, right? That's that part that we just can't just conjure up by ourselves. Let me give you a practical way. Oh, you can, did I say this? Write down 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And that kind of tells you that first man, that first Adam, is just a guy. He was a sinful guy. And then this last Adam is that living spirit of the Lord that is with you. Okay, so I put it into Chris terms and um, you're going to love this. So I started thinking like, okay, how, how do I understand that? That old nature, that Adam, that new nature. Okay, so here's what I thought of. I thought of me. This is who I am, okay? And then this is who I am. The new nature is who I am when I became a wife and a mother. You can go to the next slide. So my old nature was this. And it still is this sometimes too, by the way. Let's just be clear. My old nature was this. I'm selfish. But you know what my new nature is as a mom and as a wife? Guys, let me be clear. There was times I was up in the middle of the night feeding human beings. I was not sleeping because of that. And there was also times that I was camping on the ground without bathrooms. Did you hear what I said? I was camping on the ground in a sleeping bag without bathrooms because I love people. 
It was not because I wanted to do that. You know what else I did? This is maybe the worst. I listened to Kids Bop in my car. <laughs> I could oh, stop listening to good music and start listening to terrible music. And I'm sorry if you're there right now. It'll pass. It passes. I learned how to buy leotards and soccer cleats and all this stuff that I don't care about. I was selfish before, and then I had to become selfless. The other thing is I had self-pity. I felt sorry for myself. And then guess what? Oh, do you wonder what that is? <laughs> and, then, and then I had this thing. I've always felt bad for myself. You know, like, oh, poor me. I mean, I have to get up early and go to work and drive. And it's so, so hard. And then stuff like this happened. You fly back from Disney World with your two-year-old, and he pukes all over you, and it gets in your shoes. And you're walking off the plane, and you can hear it in your shoes. And you know what I thought? You know, while I thought, oh, my baby, my poor baby. I don't even remember what the shoes were. I bet they were cute, but it was so gross. And then the other way, the old nature, the old Chris was this, that I was focused on my contentment and my comfort, always. And then the new Chris, the new wife and mother, I, I, I used this example because I couldn't really come up with a way that I'm not still selfish about my contentment and my comfort. But you know who was the greatest example of being selfless in that way? Is my mom. Is she here? I don't know where she is. My mom. And you know what she used to do? We made, oh, there she is. We, we'd always, we still make fun of her t- to this day because we'd be like, oh, mom, your shirt's so cute. And she goes, oh, you like it? What, do you want it? You can have it. I can just take it off right now. I have another shirt on underneath. And we'd always laugh. We'd be like, mother, don't give us your shirt. But that's my mom, you know? Her comfort and her contentment doesn't matter because what matters is that she'll give me anything to keep me happy, selfless. The last thing that I thought of, my old nature is this, that I want to take care of myself and in my little world, you know, like that's really what I care about. And then as a wife and a mother, guys, those of you that don't have teenagers yet, I just want you to, this is not a discouragement. This is, it's an opportunity to be graceful. There are so many dirty, holy, gross, unmatched socks in my world. I cannot even tell you. Hundreds of dirty socks that don't match. I don't even know where they came from. This is not, I'm not taking care of myself. These are not my socks. I don't wear socks. But that's the difference. So do you kind of see that? You got this old nature and then you got this new nature that is so, man, you could not have told me I would walk off an airplane throw up in my shoes and not be complaining about it. I didn't care, right? Old nature, old Adam, not old Adam, first Adam, new nature, last Adam. That's what that seed is that he's talking about. This unnatural thing that you get that you could never have figured out on your own. Listen, there's three things about this new nature. When you've accepted Jesus and you have this new nature, this seed in you that helps you abide in him, you know that word we keep talking about? There's three things that you get. They're like bonus things. Three things. One is you get this built-in check. You get this built-in guard. I've talked about it over and over, but there's no other way to explain it. You get this discernment, this weird ability to guard against habitual sinning. You get that conflict that my friend had when she was in this horrible, sinful place and she knew, she knew it was terrible. She didn't need people telling her how bad it was and hitting her over the head with the Bible. She needed people to love her through it. You just know, right? And the second thing is that sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. We must remember that. Sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. You know, Christ came to take away the whole sin thing. 
So when we're sinning, we're still hanging out over here in this, in this, in this old nature, right? That's where we're hanging out. We're not claiming this new thing. And the last thing is that sin came, I mean, Christ came to destroy the work of Satan. Christ came to destroy the work of Satan. Listen, some of those words in there were pretty ugly, right? It was talking about children of the devil and children of the, you know, of the Lord. And, and this is what you really need to remember above all is you need to remember this, that sin is of the devil. There's no, there's no glazing over that. None. Don't try to make it pretty. That's what sin is. That is that, you know, we talk about all these things, this obedience and love and trust. and all. That's evidences of, of our faith and our trust in the Lord. Well, sin is evidences of evil. It's just the facts. Sometimes we just, we just want to sanitize that, don't we? A little bit. It gets a little uncomfortable. Well, when we're talking about those two feuding things, the righteousness and um, the lawlessness, he calls us then to do what? practice righteousness, doesn't he? And what did we establish before that the whole practice word means? What does it mean? It is not a one and done, guys. It is an over and over repetitive, habitual thing. I think of it this way. Do you end the day with a little more new than a little more old? Which is it, you know? I want to get to the end of the day and go, okay, I had a little bit more Jesus than Chris. That is victory. I'll take it. It's that simple. That righteousness thing, don't get bogged down in those big old words, guys. Because what John is trying to tell us, he's trying to tell us truth and is what? That God loves you so much that he gave his son. He loves you so much that he wants you to love him and love others. He loves you so much he wants you to trust him when he says it. And then the rest of it just kind of overflows. You can't help but walk around with throw up in your shoes when you love like that. The principle for this section is this, that practice makes perfect. And I really hated even saying that because that is so dorky. But I just kept thinking every time you hear the word practice, practice makes perfect. But this is what it does actually. The Christian life practices righteousness. And that is perfect. The Christian life practices righteousness. And that's about as close to perfect as we're going to get. Well, John moves into this other part in verse 11. And it's all very familiar, right? It's pretty sad whenever you're like, oh, we're going to talk about love again? Whatever. That's not cool, guys. We really shouldn't do that. But I did that. I was like, what are we we doing again? Why are we doing this again? Why are we doing it again? Because we need to hear it over and over. Because we need to hear it over and over. Because we're pretty bad at this. We're bad at this. He tells us this. Well, he, he kind of challenges us with, with this question. How do I love? How do I love others? Doesn't he? Listen, for those truly born again, love is indispensable characteristic. It's just part of it. You can't, you can't have been born again through Jesus Christ and not love. It's just not, a, they just can't coexist. It doesn't happen. You may not see it for what it is. It may be blocked by a bunch of this, this old nature stuff. It may be really, really hard to dig down and find, but I'm going to promise you this. If you've accepted Jesus, it's in there and you can get to it. John goes through this section and kind of gives us four levels of relationship that a couple of them were pretty disturbing. I'm not going to lie because 
you know, all high and mighty. I'm thinking, well, I'm not murdering people. And then he's like, oh, but wait, you totally are. Okay, sorry. So he gives us these four things, right? Four levels of relationship. And I'm gonna move through them a little quickly here. Number one, in verses 11 and 12, he talks about murder. Remember, I'm gonna read verse 11 and 12 for you. It says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, that we should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So that's always fun when we get to hear those stories, right? And then you just think, well, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Well, can I just tell you this, that murder is the ultimate expression of hate. Just know that. That's what that is. It's the ultimate expression of hate. Can we agree with that? But more disturbingly is we move down number two, and it's hatred. Hatred, and that's verses 13 and 15. And here's what, here's what kind of stopped me in my tracks. You know, hatred is the first step toward murder. You know that? Hatred is the first step toward pretty much any of that lawlessness, is it not? Like, if I'm walking in hatred, if I'm dwelling in that dark place, well then, guys, it's a progression thing. There's, there's more things that can come from it. That, that scared me a little bit. And the thing that scared me even more, that you, you may or may not want to jot this down, but I'm going to encourage you to do this, is Matthew 5.22, because guess what? Guess who that is talking? That's Jesus. And guess what he says? He says that hatred is spiritually equal to murder because your attitude is equal to the act. And that, that, is, that is truth. Like our sweet John wants us, to, wants us to understand truth and he wants to understand us to understand that God loves us, but that doesn't mean it's not easy. I mean, it's hard sometimes, right? Hatred is the first step toward murder. The third thing is indifference. Indifference. How do I love? Am I indifferent? Do I just avoid? I do sometimes. Um, You know, indifference isn't, this is what's interesting. Indifference is not only avoiding lawlessness. It's it's actually avoiding righteousness too, if you think about it. If you're indifferent about things, indifference. Verse 16 says this. It says, lay down your life. He doesn't ask us to lay down our lives necessarily, but he does ask us to do this. Do you help those in need or are you indifferent to their needs? Do you only love people that are lovable? Do you only love the people under your roof or do you see need and you say, this is my opportunity to love like Jesus? So murder, hatred, indifference. And then the last one, number four, which we're all totally depressed now, right? So we need a little uplifting. Number four, this is what we, put a star by this one, guys, not the other ones. This is where we want to go. Christian love, verses 18 through 24, indeed and in truth. Do you remember those terms? Indeed and in truth. Do you love indeed and in truth? I think in the homework, we got asked that question, who have you seen love that way? Have you seen examples of that? Um, Have you been loved that way? That was a great question. It was hard, right? Because we just move on with our stuff. Um, I wanted to share something here. I, I, this week, I had the opportunity to see something that I don't think I'll, I'll probably never see love like this again. And I don't want it to go away. And I know a lot of you have experienced this as well. And you probably have felt the same way. Like you just don't want to lose track of this. But let me share something with you. Christian love in deed and in truth. I have a friend and his name is Brian. 
And Brian is a good guy. He's a good guy. Real good guy. He's not just a good guy. You know what he is? He is unshakable and unselfish and unnaturally loving. And he would die if he knew I was telling you that. Um, his unshakableness and his unselfishness and his unnatural ability to love did not earn his salvation. Do you know that? Did not earn anything. What it did was it was evidence of his salvation. That's what it was. My friend, Brian, I'm not looking in the back of the room because he's Mary's husband too. He, uh, he was an army ranger and he was in Iraq and he had a translator. And what happens, to say this as quickly as I can, is when we're there, we need help and we need local help. And guess what? There are awesome men who step up and put their lives on the line, their families' lives on the line, to help our armed forces and to save their lives in a lot of cases, guys. And so it goes with Joe. That's Brian's interpreter, Joe. Joe, for five years, worked for the USA. For, for two or three of those years, he worked with Brian. He was Brian's right-hand man in the battlefield, guys. But this is what happened whenever Brian went back home and whenever the war was over, is that these interpreters, the USA promised to give them, they called the SIV, it's a special immigration visa, if you worked for two or three years. And so these guys were like thinking, this is, I am securing a future for my family. And so this guy does this, and then um, USA grants less than 30% of them and leaves these guys there. And then the USA also gives their names, and then they're left there to hide so when we pull out, we gave all the names of the interpreters because that was part of the negotiations. And so now you have this guy, a Muslim, whose primary language is, is um, what was his primary language? Arabic, Arabic thank you. Um, but he's a translator, and he's in his 20s, and he's on the run now. And he's imprisoned, and he's kidnapped, and he's beaten, and he's tortured, and his wife is shot, and he loses a child, and his parents die. Okay? And Brian, our loving friend, you know what Brian does? He comes home to his life here, right? And, it, and he did a great job and he did great things and he cared a lot about Joe. But you know what he did that blew my mind? And it just, he did things he didn't have to do. He was unshakable and unselfish and unnatural in the way he loved Joe. And what he continued to do and has now done since um, he left in 08 is he has fought and fought and fought to try to rescue his friend. He has spent time with senators, representatives, the Department of Defense, the State Department, CNN came to their house, all to try to win this man's freedom, all to try to win the freedom of a non-Christian man who was from the enemy country. That's unnatural love. That is insane. I find it interesting when I was talking to Mary about the details of it. It's like he was an interpreter for five years. How many of those other guys, no offense to the other servicemen, but how many other people are fighting for this guy? How many other people have been fighting since 08 to win this man's freedom with no strings? Well, there, it's a big story, and I've told a lot of it, but I will tell you this. After lots and lots of money and lots and lots of traveling and imprisonment, all these things that are happening, two weeks ago, Joe's in a safe country because of Brian. You know what's even better? You know the best part of it is? Two weeks ago, Joe accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. 
Yeah, so cool. And guess what else? Brian didn't do all this under this, hey, um, if you accept Jesus and if you abide by all these things and if you do what I want you to do, then I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna help you. Brian did it because he knew that's what the Lord wanted him to do. And now we have this brother in Christ who's still on the run and still hiding and still has a long road. But guys, when I saw that Christian love in deed and in truth, I thought of Brian. And then I thought of me. Chris, what are you doing? Are you a murderer? Are you hateful? Are you indifferent? I want to be like Brian. Principle for this section is this. Christian love is unshakable, unselfish, and completely unnatural. It's unshakable, unselfish, and completely unnatural. It is rooted in the seed that God plants and not anything else that we do on our own. Nothing. Joe did nothing other than just be. Right? In closing, I want you to hear this. Does your family resemble the father? Does your life resemble him? Do you bear the likeness of him? Do you rely on a new nature that you get only from God, a love that only could come from God because there's no way you could do that by yourself? Do you love in deed and in truth? You know, this is the coolest part of the whole story is this. Well, there's some some cool parts. But here's what really blows my mind. That whole Joe story, let me tell you how it hasn't ended. It's, it's paused. We're right in the middle of it. Let me tell you something. You know what it is? It's quantum. You know what, you know what that means? It means it is, it is one thing happens and it is like dominoes falling. Because you know what happened just this week with Joe? Just this week. While we were standing out there, he was texting Mary, asking her, now, what are the scriptures? I wish I could talk in Joe talk. What are the verses that tell about Jesus and how he had bad things happen to him and he did them for us? And we're sitting there going, I don't know what. You know, he's asking us. He wants truth. You know what else happened this week? Um, Joe was given a bunch of food by the men on mission from our church so that he could live for six months. That's as, that's as far as he's secured at this point, for six months in this new place. And they gave him all this leftover food from the mission trip. And you know what he did? You know what he did? He took it and he went across the street to a homeless family and he gave them all the food. What is that? It's quantum. It's Jesus going, it's, 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 it's Josie and Jesus and his friend and going, I don't know what that is, but I want that. I don't know where to find it in here, but I'll text Mary. I'll try to find it. And then I'm going to go out and love like Jesus. We need to love others. We need to rely on the new nature, not the old nature. And we need to have a likeness like our father. This other stuff that bogs you down, throw it behind and no truth. He loves you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for transformations. I thank you that you can take something as simple as selfishness that we battle, something as huge as infidelity in marriage or, or, or just those monumental habitual things and that you can transform them and you can make them new like you made Joe new. I thank you for this new believer, Joe. I thank you for his boldness and loving will. I wanna be like him, God. And we thank you that your son died for every one of us in this room in Flower Mound, Texas, and every Joe in Iraq, and every soldier who's fighting. 
We thank you, God. And above all, Lord, um, will you just be real to us this week? Will you show us? Will you identify? Will you just gut punch us if you've got to and show us where are those places we need to be obedient, that we need to love, and that we need to trust truth? And we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.